Hello and welcome to Catholic View. I'm Sheila Pitch. Thank you so much for joining me this Tuesday evening. Coming up in today's broadcast, we'll take a look at Cameroon's language divide. But first, as usual, we begin with some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. So do stay with me. This is Archbishop Buti Tlachale of the Catholic Diocese of Johannesburg. You are listening to Radio Veritas, the good news for a change. And in your headlines this Tuesday evening, Pope Francis says, Come back to the Lord wholeheartedly during Lent. SACBC releases a statement on political situation in South Africa. And Catholic bishops in Kenya urge respect of fundamental rights and freedom. Good evening once again, I'm Sheila Pirish. Describing a world marked by signs of the end of time, including false prophets and cold hearts, Pope Francis urged Catholics to use Lent to counteract this great tribulation through prayer, almsgiving and fasting. Nosipo Hadebe has more. In his annual message for Lent released today, the Pope quoted a line from the Gospel of Matthew that reads, Because of the increase of iniquity, the love of many will grow cold. Those words, the Pope said, come as Jesus was describing the end times in which false prophets would lead people astray, and the love that is the core of the Gospel would grow cold in the hearts of many. The Pope said those false prophets come either in the form of snake charmers who manipulate human emotions in order to enslave others and lead them where they would have them go, or charlatans who offer easy and immediate solutions to suffering that soon prove utterly useless. In either case, he said, the false prophets lead people to mistake false sources of happiness for real ones, which he said is a strategy typical of the devil. The Southern African Catholic Bishops' Conference has released a statement on the political situation in South Africa. In the statement, the Bishops' Conference calls on all engaged in political decisions regarding in particular the future role of President Jacob Zuma to exercise calm and patience. The ANC National Working Committee has decided that a special National Executive Committee meeting will be held tomorrow. Speaking to Radio Veritas, SACBC spokesperson Archbishop William Slattery OFM said South Africans should accept with peace the outcome of tomorrow's meeting. So we would call upon all members who are involved in this meeting tomorrow and then all members around the country uh, to accept the outcome of it with peace and with unity because there, there are tremendous problems facing the country and we cannot spend the next two years before the, the next uh, general election uh, uh, concerned with internal party politics or politics within even individual parties. We must now begin to deal with unemployment and poverty and issues facing the whole country at the moment. 
The Kenyan Conference of Catholic Bishops has released a statement calling for the respect of fundamental rights and freedom of Kenyans following last week's events by both the opposition coalition and the government. Last week, the leader of the opposition coalition, the National Super Alliance, Raila Odinga, took an oath of office, pronouncing himself as the people's president at Uhuru Park grounds adjacent to Nairobi's central business district. In reaction to the swearing-in event, the Kenyan government shut down four TV stations. And according to reports from Kenya's Daily Nation newspaper, two of the country's television stations have resumed. However, the other two remain blocked. This follows a protest held yesterday in Kenya's capital, Nairobi, to condemn the media shutdown. The Catholic Archdiocese of Accra, Ghana, on January 31st, held an Eucharistic celebration in Accra to mark the remembrance of the first-ever Mass celebrated on the soils of the national capital by two Society of African Missions Fathers. The Mass, which forms part of activities marking the 125th anniversary of the mission in Accra, brought together thousands of Catholics, including the laity, clergy and religious, among others. In other African news, an eruption of ethnic violence in northeastern Democratic Republic of Congo has killed more than 24 people and left hundreds of homes burned to the ground. Congolese officials say the fighting exploded late last week in the Ituri province between Hima and Lindu ethnic groups. It is unclear what set off the fighting, but the two groups have been bitter enemies for decades. The UN peacekeeping mission in the DRC says it will assess the situation. Meanwhile, the United States has slapped sanctions on a Congolese military commander and three rebel leaders for contributing to widespread poverty, chronic food insecurity and population displacement. And finally, there are ambitious plans for a railway line to connect East and West Africa. The road will run through 10 different countries and it is hoped it will boost trade on the continent. However, the Trans-African Railway Line could take decades to complete. Nicholas Hake reports from Senegal. On board the 515 train from Dakar to Chess. Most passengers are on their way home after a long day of work in the city. The 15 minutes journey home always seems a bit longer than the morning commute. After years riding this train, Usmanso has learned to enjoy this moment, free from distractions. I get time for myself here. If I drive to work, it would take me at least four hours and I'd be stuck in traffic. Trains are still the quickest, safest and cheapest way to travel. They call it the little blue train. The locomotive was bought from Pakistan, the wagons from India. The parts were brought to Senegal and refurbished in the 1970s. It's the only passenger train left in Senegal. All the other lines, including the historic train to Mali, were abandoned because they were too costly to run, much to the frustration of commuters and railway unions alike. Privatizing the railway lines was a clear mistake. A country cannot grow without developing its railway system, but now we are excited with the steps Senegal and other states are taking. The African Union has an ambitious plan to connect the port of Dakar in the west to the port of Djibouti in eastern Africa, linking 10 countries, many of them landlocked, it's called the Trans-African Railway Project. There are 7,800 kilometers of unfinished railway. The tracks alone will cost $13 billion to build. 
It's an enormous amount. Each country is tasked with finding its own financing for their part of the railway. Chinese companies have signed deals to rebuild former colonial rail lines that were abandoned by the French both in Dakar and in Djibouti. It's the start of an epic engineering project that will take years to build and promises thousands of jobs across the continent. There are no roads or highways connecting the west of Africa to the east, nor is there a direct flight between Dakar and Djibouti. In fact, no one has ever tried to connect both coasts of Africa. Neither the French nor the British, the former colonial powers. Construction hasn't started yet, but the prospect of reopening these century-old tracks has got many excited and hopeful. Abandoned train station may get a new lease on life. And for the many passengers like So who use this every day, it may not be the end of the line for the 515 train from Dakar. And that was a quick look at some of the stories that made headlines in the Catholic Church and in Africa today. You're listening to Catholic View right here on Radio Veritas, and I'm Sheila Pirsch. Thank you so much for joining me this evening. Coming up next is our feature program, and today we take a look at Cameroon's language divide. There are two parts in Cameroon, the English and the French-speaking part of the country. The division started when the English-speaking Southern Cameroonians said they were not represented in or respected by the French-speaking government. Southern Cameroonians have been calling for independence so they can create their own country, a place they call Ambazonia. The government responded with a crackdown on the internet, travel, and continued raids on northwest and southwest parts of the country. It is unclear just how many people have died so far. Just last week, Nigeria extradited 47 Cameroonians Anglophone separatists. They have now been sent back to Cameroon, where the government has described them as terrorists. Among them was Ayuk Tabe, the president of the intern Southern Cameroon's government. Southern Cameroonians are demanding his release and want to know if the other separatists are still alive. Leah Harding has more. Now the refugee wing of the UN said that they condemned the forced return of the asylum seekers. And we also urge the government of Cameroon to ensure that the group is treated in accordance with human rights laws and standards. President Paul Bia, he has condemned all violence in the region in Cameroon. A few hours ago on his Facebook page, he reshared this post from a speech that he made last year. Now, in it, he said the government had to take measures to maintain order, protect civilians, and hand over to the judicial authorities those who committed or were suspected of committing these criminal acts. Hashtags have driven the conversation for Southern Cameroonians online. They have a very unified voice, all calling for Ambazonia to become its own state, free of oppression by the current government. Chris here, he's saying that uh, we cannot afford to be second-class citizens anymore. Now, one of the most prominent voices online is Jude Ranze. He's a political activist. Many Southern Cameroonians wish to see a return to an independent Southern Cameroon because... They have, over the course of the last 50-plus years, witnessed systematic marginalization at the hands of the French-dominated government. 
the resolve and resilience has shown itself for over one year now and there seems to be no slowing down or quitting as southern Cameroonians still religiously boycott schools and fully respect ghost towns. Southern Cameroons was an independent country anyway, so returning to the status quo is a matter of life and death for many. Other groups are saying Cameroon and Southern Cameroon need to work out their differences and stay as one country. Benjamin Aki Kumge, he's Cameroonian and is an assistant professor at Syracuse University. Most English-speaking Cameroonians who support unity blame the government for abandoning this crisis to security forces. Some of them are overworked and they make mistakes compounding the situation. The solution to the crisis is not separation. Now, the separatist group are confused themselves. There are so many of them, and they are publicly raising money for their actions. The way forward is to force the government to take the political actions and to block funding to the separatists. The spokesman for the UN Secretary General said he supports upholding the unity and territorial integrity of Cameroon and urges all parties to refrain from acts that could lead to an escalation of tension and violence. The Secretary General believes that genuine and inclusive dialogue between the government and the communities in the southwest and northwest regions is the best way to preserve the unity and stability of the country. Mill Hill Missionaries Rector for Meta in Bamenda, Cameroon, Father Richard Njore Gitanga, spoke to me about the latest developments in Cameroon's Anglophone region and also about the call by the Catholic bishops to pray and fast for peace as well as stability in the country. Well, on this side of our where we are, that is the Anglophone part of Cameroon, also called the southern part of Cameroon, um, things are somehow calm in some areas like uh, where I am in Bamenda. However, in uh, another diocese called Manse, uh, things are not as calm as uh, in, uh, in other areas because uh, there have been uh, some uh, uh, military operations in that area. And there has been a big tension also rising up that uh, has caused uh, a number of people to flee from the village, from the villages around the Mount Diocese, because of the military operation. And so there are quite a number of uh, internally displaced people, people who have left their homes and they have gone to, you know, to other areas of uh, the Anglophone part of Cameroon to not for refuge. But then, Father, what about the Catholic Church in uh, that side of Cameroon? Well, um, well, the Church continues to be, you know, to to work for, um, you know, to see children above school. All the Catholic schools are opened and uh, quite a number of uh, people have gone back to school. But uh, there's also there's still a, a, a large population that have not gone to school. So the church is mobilizing, mobilizing, calling on parents to, to send their children to school and not to boycott, you know, uh, not to go on with the strike, you know, the education strike. That is on one side. On the other side, the church is also very much in solidarity with the... Um, with communities that have been displaced from their from their from their homes, 
because of the, the military operation. And that military operation came about because it was believed that uh, there, was a, there was a group of uh, young people who wanted to, who were organizing uh, and the lines of profit to, you know, to attack government installations. So when the military came in, a number of, uh, and started moving from one house to another, arresting young people. So quite a number of people ran away. And so there's a, there's a big, big population of, uh, of Christians who are, who are, who are displaced. And the church is trying to call for justice to be done, that they should be sent back home. And uh, other Christians to be solidarity with them, to provide for their you know, security, uh, allowing them to come to their homes and uh, provide food for them, uh, shelter. The, the president in December, if I'm not mistaken, sometime last year, he called yes. for dialogue, saying that he's ready for dialogue. What about all of that has come, come back to the to the region? Well, yes, first thing, yes, the president called for dialogue, but on the ground we know that nothing, nothing much has happened there since that time. And um, so we still in the very place where we were in November and December, but uh, we're still waiting to see what sort of dialogue is the government uh, asking, uh, asking, um, you know, uh, to engage with the people, because uh, some of the leaders have been arrested, and till now, till today, they have not been released. So, is that dialogue is with who? That's, that's a question people are asking. And so, Really, nothing much has gone that moved forward in terms of, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, engaging the government, engaging the people, and trying to find a solution. So, in other words, things are still the same, and hence, like you said in the beginning, there's a number of uh, displaced people. Uh, we've been reading on the news yeah. sites that there are a number of women and children that have fled to neighboring Nigeria. Does the government show any interest towards these people who are fleeing their homes because of the violence in that area? Not at all. So far, I must say, not at all. It's, uh, actually, the church has been uh, the one which has been in the forefront trying to show real concern and interest. I remember um, uh, a few weeks ago, the bishop of that area, Mante, bordering Nigeria, Cameroon, Nigeria, the bishop uh, had to cross to the Nigerian side to go and see those who are, uh, you know, who are free to Nigeria and just uh, visit them and uh, console them and... Uh, uh, at the same time, call the government to to come to, to create a, an environment in which they can come back. But so far, on the government side, nothing much has happened. All right, Father. Well, I suppose those were all the questions I had for you with regards to the situation there in Cameroon. But uh, what what are the plans for the year? Well, just uh, uh, see, um, there's no clear plan like for the whole year. But what I've seen, the, the ecclesiastical province of Damenda, uh, the, the bishop conference of this province, of the Anglican province, they, at the moment, they are mobilizing people to to come out to be in solidarity with those who, who have been affected, uh, those who, are, who have uh, run away from their homes, to collect, you know, 
collect money and food and the like and try to reach out to them. So far, that's a kind of a, a drive, you know, all the churches have been called to do. Uh, and then apart apart from that, that's the ongoing call for parents to call to, to send their children to school, to public schools and even to government schools, and not to use, you know, not to uh, to make them lose another academic year because they lost an academic year last year. So that, that would be the main thing. And of course, apart from that, there is a, a continuous, since last year, a continuous um, prayer that all the parishes, all the churches have been asked to dedicate, uh, you know, private for adoration, prayers, and uh, fasting to pray for, for peace in Cameroon. And so that plan from since last year, end of last year, it's going on. And I, I would imagine it continue to do it, you know, to this year. And my thanks goes there to Mill Hill Missionaries Rector and Formator in Baminda, Cameroon, Father Richard Njore Gitanga, for talking to us about the latest developments in Cameroon. And now in more recent news reports from VOA, Nigeria's President Muhammadu Buhari assured that he will take all the necessary measures within the ambit of the law to ensure that Nigeria's territory is not used as a staging area to destabilize another friendly sovereign country. And that both Cameroonian President Paul Bia and the entire people of Cameroon have the backing of Buhari in finding solution to the country's internal crisis. that brings me up to time. This has been your Tuesday's edition of Catholic View, a program produced and presented by Sheila Pirsch for Radio Veritas. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back again tomorrow at the same time. Until then, God bless you and ciao, ciao. I'm Sheila Pirsch.